In his new book, The Advanced Genius Theory, author Jason Hartley makes the case that true artists don't sell out, they advance. Hartley has devoted years of study to the later work of artists like Bob Dylan, Lou Reed, Orson Welles, The Rolling Stones, even Sting. These are artists who have all supposedly lost it or sold out spectacularly in their later careers. Well, according to the fans and critics, that is. But Hartley wants us to look and listen again. He says, if we truly wish to appreciate the work of the advanced, then we need to open our minds and our hearts and accept that what we think sucks is, in fact, genius. My name is Benjamin Walker, and this is Too Much Information. Tonight on the program, Jason Hartley joins me to discuss his advanced genius theory. And we'll be taking your calls as well. But first, the news. This is TMI News. I'm Bill Bowen. And I'm Laura Mayer. Mexico has finally responded to Arizona's new anti-immigration laws. Tijuana Security Officer Juana Maria gave us this statement. When Americans come to Mexico, they need to bring papers, many green papers. And if they don't have them, and if they don't give them to the Mexicans, they will get slapped around like girls, many girls laughs. Gringo, racista, malparido, ¿por qué no dejan vivir al diablo con ellos? Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's co-founder, CEO, and president, convened an all-hands meeting of Facebook's more than 1,200 employees on Friday. While employees expected to hear a referendum on Facebook's privacy policies, instead, the crowd saw an unhinged Zuckerberg, who was reportedly wearing a long, black, frilly velvet cape. It was a dress. Zuckerberg was wearing a dress, said an anonymous Facebook employee, agreeing to speak only under conditions of anonymity. The employee continued, he got on stage and unleashed a screed. When responding to questions about Facebook's confusing privacy settings, Zuckerberg said, anyone can understand the settings. The settings are so easy. My mom can understand the settings. He kept banging his hands against the lectern over and over again and storming across the stage with this dress or whatever flowing out behind him. It was like if Mussolini had a drag show, the employee said. The Air Force recently launched a new robotic spacecraft with the sinister name X-37B. The Air Force is trying to keep the X-37B's orbit a secret, but a dedicated band of amateur skywatchers has located the craft between 40 degrees north and 40 degrees south latitude, circling the planet once every 90 minutes at an altitude of about 255 miles. This orbit takes it directly over the axis of evil, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and North Korea. But a Pentagon spokesman said on TV that the X-37B is not part of any kind of space-based weapons system. I don't know how this could be called weaponization of space. Fundamentally, it's an updated version of the space shuttle. But there are no teachers on board the X-37B, which makes it a drone, the first drone in space. And according to the former chief of advanced space programs, Robert Bauman, such a drone could only have two missions. One possible mission would be the... Uh, destruction of opposing military satellites, uh, gaining absolute military control of space. And the second would be to destroy targets on the surface of the Earth from space without warning. Bloggers have noted that the X-37B has a payload bay about the size of a pickup truck's bed, making it the perfect vehicle for dumping a few hundred kilograms of tea bags into orbit to protest the president's socialist space initiatives. The University of Chicago Press has just reissued three more Parker novels by Richard Stark. Parker is one of the most violent and cold-blooded characters ever created in the mystery thriller genre. 
Using the name Richard Stark, Donald Westlake wrote almost 20 novels starring his stop at nothing to get the cash unless, of course, it's a piece of ass, professional thief in the 60s and 70s. Many of these books have been out of print for decades. The University of Chicago Press is reprinting them all, starting with 1963's The Hunter, filmed as Point Blank, Point Blank Lee Marvin, and Payback with Mel Gibson. The new installments in the reprint series were written from 1967 to 1969. They are The Black Ice Score, The Green Eagle Score, and The Sour Lemon Score. Diehard fans are eagerly awaiting the publication of 1974's Butcher's Moon, the most difficult out-of-print Parker book to find online for a decent price. And why is this news? I think Benjamin is just mad he can't find a copy of Butcher's Moon. Well, I hope this helps settle the matter. This week on Twitter, at Gary J. Busey, I already saw the Lost finale. It's just two hours of J.J. Abrams jacking off into a giant pile of money. At Jewel JK, it looks like a drag queen and a hippie exploded in my purse. Lotions, potions, vitamins, and enough makeup to make RuPaul jealous. At Yoko Ono, the most outrageous thing to me is people have war and fight with each other. At Justin Bieber, I miss being a trending topic, colon, left parentheses. At Extra Napkins, have fun living in medieval times. I'll be here in my geodesic dome house speaking Esperanto with my non-gendered living partners. At Shorster, the kids outside are either practicing their troll voices or are being coached to sing by Danny DeVito. And finally, at Ideas by Chuck, the difference between sheep and goats is a perm, right? For, for TMI, TMI, that's, that's the, the news. news. Support for TMI comes from... The Passaic Playhouse, featuring a musical adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining, with choreography by Mark Morris and an original score by Eric Wolfson, formerly of the Alan Parsons Project. Funding for the local distribution of TMI comes from Sunshine Revisited, natural whole oat snack treats and organically produced Sunshine Yogurt Pops, now offering papaya and loganberry flavors. Send a little lamb to the shepherd boy Do you hear what I hear? Bob Dylan's Christmas from the heart is one of the strangest records the man has ever made. When it came out last year, fans and critics just didn't know what to make of these heartfelt renditions of Here Comes Santa Claus and Do You Hear What I Hear? The New Yorker went as far as to suggest that the record was satire, an ironic wink at his much maligned Christian period. As for myself, I just don't hear what Bob hears. But even though today is Bob Dylan's birthday, I still have to say that I think this record is really bad. And not the kind of bad that one day becomes good. This is bad forever. But author Jason Hartley has another theory. He says that if I accept that Bob Dylan is a genius, which I do, then perhaps the problem is me. In other words, what I think is awful just might be something beyond my comprehension. And therefore, the worst thing I can do is pass judgment. Jason Hartley's new book is called The Advanced Genius Theory, and he joins me in the studio to talk about it. Welcome to TMI, Jason. Thanks. Good to be here. So, what is The Advanced Genius Theory? Well, um, 
it was it's basically an idea to explain exactly why something that Bob Dylan would do, like a Christmas record, is actually brilliant and not bad as you think it is. Um, the idea is that a lot of the a lot of artists are, are ahead of their time when they're young, and then they get older, and we just assume they're terrible at a certain point, but really they're just advancing as time goes on, and of course they're going to still be ahead of their time now. So seems like it's bad. You know, I was talking to another DJ here at the station earlier in the week about your book and the theory, and he, you know, brought up the fact that most people are visited by genius briefly, early on in their life. In fact, much science and much literature seems to suggest that. You seem to kind of be differentiating between that and what you call inspiration. Can you, can you explain that? Yeah, I, I think if it only lasts for a few years, it's not really genius. I think inspiration is something that can come and go, and you know, it's great if you make five, six great albums, but that doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you inspired. And then if you don't have that extra level, then you're probably going to disappear. So Bob Dylan is one of the pillars in your advanced genius uh, theory. Can you mm-hmm. explain why he qualifies and and perhaps what he's taught you about the nature of, of advanced genius. Yeah, he was one of the earliest uh, artists that we studied. Um, Britt Bergman and I uh, created this theory around 1991 or so. And, um, you know, Dylan was, he did a lot of the things that you have to do to be, as an advanced artist. He, um, you know, he alienated his earliest fans, which is a huge thing. Um, he More than once, though, right? <laughs> yes, he keep continue, continues to do it because um, he's changed so many times. I, I can imagine that more than one Bob Dylan fan who'd maybe come back to the fold heard the Christmas album and said, I, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> um, but in the end, you know, a lot of these steps that he's taken, even though they looked pretty stupid at the time or silly or, or you know, anti his fans, almost all of them have turned out to be a good decision. And, I, you know... Like I, what? Going religious? Going religious, yes. I think that, you know, and, and sir, sir, some of his ideas are going to take longer to catch on than, than others. Uh-huh. Um, you know, obviously, he by going electric, that really infuriated a lot of his fans. But I think that turned out to be a pretty good, pretty good choice. Um, doing country, I, I think, also was a good. You know, it sort of was a um, it was groundbreaking in, in its way. But but you're throwing out a pretty heavy word here. This is this is genius. So yeah. I mean, so you know, pissing off your fans, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I get that. But what else? qualifies you as, as an advanced genius here. Well, one of the things, you know, one of the struggles is defining exactly what is genius. Um, one of the things I said in the book was, you know, sort of liking it to natural selection. And, you know, if you're a stick and you are in a stick-rich environment, then birds are going to pass you by and you look pretty brilliant to the other sticks. Or, excuse me, the other bugs. Did I say stick? <coughs> a bug who looks like a stick. Sorry. Um, but at any rate, um, but if you're a, a bug that looks like a stick where birds eat sticks... But you don't look so smart anymore. So, um, but we as humans, we have, you know, we can be born looking like a stick, but not take it to the next level. And I think that um, Dylan has certainly taken it to the next level. And I, I think you just look at the quality of his work over a long period of time, and you really see the genius in that. Because, you know, people were just telling him he was wrong so many different times. He can't sing. Um, you know, he, he shouldn't be doing rock and roll. He shouldn't be a Christian. He shouldn't, you know. Be doing a Christmas record. He shouldn't be doing a Christmas record. He shouldn't be wearing a blonde wig for a video for the Christmas record. You know, there's a lot of things. And, you know, I think probably in 2050, everyone's going to, we're going to listen to that Christmas record quite a bit. Well, we're going to be taking calls on the program today. The number is 201-209-9368. Maybe you think um, Jason Hartley's take on Dylan's genius is, is whacked. Or perhaps Bob Dylan has taught you something about genius as well. Numbers 201-209-9368. And you can check in 
and comment on the playlist page at WFMU.org as well. But let's come back to the origins of the advanced genius theory. It seems like it starts with your friend, mm-hmm. some pizza, yep. and a discussion about Lou Reed's mullet. Right, and we were, we were sitting there eating at Pizza Hut um, right off the campus of the University of South Carolina, and, and we were talking about Lou Reed as we often did. Um, and Mistrial in particular, that album had just baffled us because it just seemed really, truly awful. Um, and we were talking about it, and we were just wondering, how could he have done that? And, and furthermore, you know, why did he make that Honda scooter commercial? And, and why is it, you know, just a number of things. Why does he play a guitar without a headstock? And, and why does he play with a fretless bass? And, and on and on and on. Um, and also, why does he have that terrible haircut? Um, and we were talking about Wait, it. what's the haircut? Uh, that's a, that would be the pre-ironic mullet. <laughs> <coughs> Um, yeah, he w- he wore that. I don't, you know, it was long before people were really making fun of it, and um, apparently he thinks that's a good look. Um, he yeah, also we have the cover here actually from the library, added five seven nineteen eighty six uh, WFMU. It's it, it's a beautiful cover. It's a it's a perfect example of, of advanced cover, and this so is saying, advanced music. Yeah, yeah, this one right here. This is original rapper from Mistrial. I was sitting home on the West End watching TV with a female friend. We were watching the news, the world's in a mess. Oh, and the hungry world is distressed. the Middle East, All right, so you're sitting at Pizza Hut, mm-hmm. thinking about this record, trying to make sense of it, yep. and, and what happened? Well, we felt like we had been getting a little bit older at that point. Now it seems kind of silly after all these years have gone by. But we also realized that, you know, we weren't wearing Doc Martens all the time anymore. We weren't, you know, really going out of our way to look cool or, or, or strange or make a statement with our looks. And, you know, we started to wear, like, tennis shoes rather than something that was really uncomfortable. And, and we knew that that wasn't very popular um, popular among the uh, the cool people in Columbia where, where we lived. And so we sort of thought, but y- you know what, actually – it's better. It's a lot better because they're comfortable and who cares? And it's a lot more interesting to make a statement by doing exactly what you want rather than letting somebody else's opinions um, dictate what you do. So then we started to think about how that might be what Lou Reed was doing. You know, he, he's an older guy. He's, you know, much smarter than we are for sure. Much better artist, definitely, than just about anybody. You know, we worship the Velvet Underground as most people do who, who've been exposed to them. And, um, and and then you heard mistrial, and, and then we heard mistrial again, and then we we're like, hmm, you know, maybe maybe this is this is just ahead of just as ahead of its time as Nico was, you know, the album with Nico. Um, <laughs> and it took a while. It took a while. And and usually, what you do if you want to learn how you know learn how to like something by an advanced artist that you are predisposed to liking, you might listen to it as a joke. Say, hey, this is kind of funny. Ha ha ha. And you listen to it, and you listen to it, and you listen to it, and then all of a sudden, it sort of morphs into this thing where, you know, I don't want to listen to Velvet Underground Records anymore. I want to listen to Mistrial. And how couldn't you want to listen to that? So it seems that you used Lou Reed to explain that there are various stages Mm -hmm. to Genius. Can Can you walk us through... What these stages in advanced genius yeah. are to help us help us understand this. Sure, um, I, I think this is one of the more complicated things f- for people to understand. The and that's the first phase of advancement. The first phase of advance, advancement is called the overt stage. When you're overt, it's just basically that you, you're you're easy to read. You you can tell what you can easily tell what Lou Reed was trying to do with the Velvet Underground. He wanted to make rock music, but using you know different types of subject matter and um, you know, and using a viola and all that kind of stuff. Just trying to do something to really push the bounds of rock. 
Um, and this is his overt stage. Correct. So, and that's why it's called overt. It's easily recognized. Um, and then as they pass through different, different, um, different stages, um, and sort of the late overt period for Lou Reed is when he was doing the work, the original work for um, Loaded, which he ended up sort of splitting from the band before uh, that got done. Uh-huh. But that was when he was writing rock and roll. And one of the things the Advance really love to talk about is how much they love rock and roll. And I think that um, his earliest work, his earliest overt work, was a repudiation of rock and roll in, in a way. Um, but it was only in the end where he was sort of admitting, you know, I love this music. It saved my life. And as an overt artist, he was really responding to rock and roll, reacting to it, rather than doing what was really in, in his heart, which is to embrace it. And, and I think the uh-huh. next stage, as he became almost advanced, he started to think, well, all of these things that I've rejected, maybe I should try to embrace them and maybe take them further, which I believe he did. And so then when he got to be a solo artist, that's when he really started to make the commitment that he was going to advance. You know, he got David Bowie to be the producer on this record. Um, and he hired professional musicians, including a, an Oompa band, and they did Transformer, and that's where Walk on the Wild Side is on. And uh, so, and moving from overt to advanced, <coughs> then what's the what's for you is that line? Well, I think the line was that um, w- well, one of the great hallmarks of advancement would be to have professional musicians in your band, rather than a bunch of people you went to college with or anything like that. You're you're hiring these professional musicians. And you're not trying to obscure the output by maybe using crummy equipment or, you know, in your, your lyrics no one can understand and you can't really hear things very well and it's kind of dense. And, and that allows the audience to fill in the, the blanks with their own experience. So while the words might not mean what you think they do, they're obscure enough where they actually, you can ascribe your own meaning to it. And the same with the musicians, uh-huh. because if you can hear all the notes perfectly, then you have to really judge, is it good, is it bad? And only an advanced genius really feels okay about saying, okay, here I am. You know, I have the power. I'm, I'm comfortable enough with myself to say, here's my song featuring an oompa band recorded perfectly. And I know that the last thing you, you, re- re- you, know, you remember from me is Sister Ray or something like that. But here's Goodnight Ladies. And it's like a completely different style, although it still sounds like Lee Reed. Because this is just his early period. <laughs> um, but uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about that album, though, is that the bass player was a union musician, and he found out that you could get paid twice as much if you recorded your bass part on two different tracks. So that's where the great um, bass line in Walk on the Wild Side came from, because it's one bass going up, the other bass going down at the same time. Um, from a guy just trying to make twice as much. Exactly. And you wouldn't have got that if it was just his drunk buddy like exactly. playing that. Exactly. And also another hallmark is having professional backup singers. Um, that would be the colored girls from the, the song, um, which I, was a pretty bold, bold statement. And he also, when, he, when he did a re-recording of that song, he changed the words from colored girls to girls girls, um, which, you know, some might say, it's like, oh, well, he's just kind of, I don't know, giving in. Caving to in, pe- yeah. yeah. But it's really not. No. No, it's not You're saying all. that's actually a sign, a hallmark of being advanced. Absolutely. I mean, how, how better to make his fans angry? than to do something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, my guest today is Jason Hartley, author of The Advanced Genius Theory, and we are taking your calls. Uh, the number is 201-209-9368, and I believe we have uh, Carl on line one. Carl, welcome to the <coughs> program. Hello? Uh, okay. Is Carl there? One second. We'll have to see if we can get Carl back. Hello? 
Uh, okay. Well, let's just see if we can figure that out in a second. Um, but okay, it seems that change is something that uh, is crucial to the theory that, that you know for 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 advanced geniuses they have to change. But it also seems that this change is precisely something that fans and critics react very strongly against. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, I think the only thing worse than changing is not changing. If you're a fan. Um, you know, if they kept making the same record over and over again, it sounds like a wonderful thing. You know, we want to hear, uh, you know, murmur a thousand times, but, you know, it's just not, we don't really want to hear that. <laughs> what we want is some idealized version of that album over and over again, but also so that we'll be also in high school again, um, which I think that the connection that we have with these artists when we were younger, um, it's very key in how we respond to their changes. But as we change as people, it's very unlikely that they, they're going to change in the same way. I mean, you know, I have friends, you know, maybe three or four friends that I've had all my life, but even the people that I've been closest to, we grow apart and we can we can barely talk any, talk to each other. So why would I expect Bob Dylan to grow the same way that I do? So it, it's not a bad thing that, that he's different. It's just a thing, you know. Uh, it's, it makes it difficult for you both have a similar reaction. Yeah, he couldn't understand me either, I'm sure. <laughs> okay, um, th- you're reading... You're doing a live event tomorrow mm-hmm. this week. Where's that? Yep, I'm doing it at Book Court in Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to be doing it with uh, Chuck Klosterman, who wrote the foreword for the, the book, and also Greg Milner, John Dolan, and Rob Sheffield. Let's see if we can uh, pull up this, this <coughs> phone again. Carl, are you there? Hello? Let's see. You know, there Hello? Hey, Carl, are you there? Yes. Okay, right. one, welcome to the program. What's going on? What do you think of this advanced genius theory? These are really good observations about Lou Reed and how he chose to not say colored girls. It was a choice, and it was a sign of maturity. Um, I was calling about Bob Dylan, if it's all right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when early in his career, he had the scratchy voice, and it was just him and the guitar, and he really sounded like he was not from the street, but more like from the everyman, the common man, and his voice being scratchy, and it, it really helped. But then there was the next album and the next album, and time passed, and now we're just left with the voice. I mean, it's not really associated with that common man anymore. I wanted to ask Jason, what do you think? I mean, why do people still enjoy? He doesn't sing well, so uh, you think there's something deeper about him? or, or I mean, I quit on him because of his voice. Am I crazy? Uh, you're not crazy. I think that you, uh, you're you like most people. Um, it's very difficult to get through these things. But, you know, with Bob Dylan's voice, it's incredibly unique. And, and unique is hard to accept. It's hard to appreciate. Now, I think that even in the early days, it wasn't like he was singing beautifully in tune and had a, you know, a songbird of a voice. Although when he kind of adapted the... Uh, country crooner sound that you, s- you heard in um, Nashville Skyline and a little bit in Self Portrait and uh, a couple of albums like that. You know, he's had a lot of different voices. In fact, when I play Bob Dylan for my son, I always like to trick him and say, you know, who's this? <laughs> and he never knows. But what a great statement for an artist to make. I mean, he's been so many different people. His voice has been so different. And I think that as long as we can kind of get over the idea that his voice is supposed to sound like something, then we can start judging the work for really what it's worth. And, and he gets a lot out of that voice. And he also... A Christmas record. Yeah, a Christmas, Christmas record. record. Did, you like the Carl, did you like the Christmas record, Carl? Well, I have to say I did enjoy some oh, of boy. that. Oh, <laughs> boy. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But well, the, you know, Bob Dylan loves Americana. You know, I mean, he, he knows every song that anyone's ever done in the last 200 years. You know, from when you hear people talking about working with him, 
they'll pull out these songs from the Civil War, and they're like, Bob, we didn't practice that. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, but he is a guy who really, truly appreciates this stuff, right. and that's why I did the album. Well, Carl, thanks for calling. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we'll, we'll show how the, well, we'll learn how, if the advanced <laughs> genius theory can apply to uh, artists other than musicians. Uh, this is Too Much Information. My name is Benjamin Walker, and we'll be right back after this underwriting announcement. The Passaic Playhouse, featuring a musical adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining, with choreography by Mark Morris and an original score by Eric Wolfson, formerly of the Alan Parsons Project. Funding for the local distribution of TMI comes from Sunshine Revisited, natural whole oats snack treats, and organically produced Sunshine Yogurt Pops, now offering papaya and loganberry flavors. Clock said I was late for school. Teacher told me that's not cool. Gotta put my shirt and pants on. Flew down the front stair. Wet my fingers and slicked my hair. Elbowed grandma passing by. Her face went into a pie. If I'm late, there's misery. I won't be up on history. I'll be in the English grammar. That is Steve Martin performing late for school on Saturday Night Live uh, from early, late last year. And while I do confess a love for most things banjo-related, I do have to say that this song makes me scratch my head a little bit, uh, as well as some of the recent movies starring Steve Martin do, um, Father of the Bride 2. I think they're working on three or four now. But I always think that he's been doing these movies to fund his expensive art collection. But my guest, Jason Hartley, makes the case that Steve Martin is also an advanced genius, and therefore in full control of what he's doing. Really. He is totally in control. There's no doubt about it. And I don't think there's any um, amount of selling out in the movies that he does. He certainly gets paid well, um, but the movies do well also. And there's obviously an audience for it. And we can say, well, that audience isn't me. That doesn't mean it's bad. You know, I, I think that part of the advanced theory is to just say, well, let's not just reject genres because they don't speak to us. There's something really special about being able to entertain millions of people. Um, I think also that Steve Martin isn't you know, just doing it for the paycheck. I think he's doing it because he actually likes to do these movies. Um, might be because his relationship with his family wasn't so great when he was growing up and he's trying to bring the world together. Or it might just be that he has fun with Bonnie Hunt or you know, all the things. And who wouldn't want to be with Diane Keaton as much as possible? So um, I think it's fun for him to do. I think he does it very well. I think that there's no reason to say that Cheaper by the Dozen 2 is a horrible um, mistake or that it's you know evidence that he's completely lost his way. Really? Even though for those of us who really admire and adore the Steve Martin of the past, say, mm-hmm. from The Jerk, and we just kind of wished that guy would show up sometime. So, But you wouldn't want to see The Jerk. You wouldn't see him do The Jerk now. I mean, it's impossible. You know, he's just, it would be a, a geriatric jerk, and it just, I don't think he could quite pull it off. Although, I wouldn't put it past him. But if you think about his career, um, he's done a lot of very interesting things, even after he supposedly lost it. Now, that Bluegrass record is a great ex- example. I think a lot of people latched onto the Late to School song um, and just sort of thought, okay, well, this is yet another horrible thing that he's doing. But the album itself is really great, and he is a very well respected banjo player. Um, you know, he plays with the real guys. Yeah. You know? And um, I think that 
the other thing is that I, I don't. I'm perfectly happy to go see che- Cheaper by the Dozen two or the uh, Clouseau movies. I mean, I, I think that they're they're fine, and and I laugh more often in those than I do in, in most movies. Um, and especially like a, an indie movie that has a lot of street cred. All, all right, well, we'll, well, and banjo cred. But let's let's cred. let's talk about another actor you talk about in your book, Nicolas Cage. Okay, now come on, uh, you know we all were wondering what happened. You know, he started mm-hmm. off with The Rock, and then as you even write, there's Face Off. Mm-hmm. What, what I mean, and again, Fire. the man has has some tax troubles. I mean, come on, are you are you really saying here that this is uh, explain explain to us how he's become an advanced artist. Sure. Well, I think that, you know, he, he has this clear overt period when he was working with the Coen brothers and doing, um, you know, movies like that where he was this sort of, and uh, how did I describe him? Well, you know, he's got the bulging eyes and, <laughs> and the horrible hair, which he's clung to somehow over the years. But I think that when it really struck me that he's actually advanced is when I was watching Adaptation. So this is a guy who we all loved. You know, and by all I mean people like who would listen to WFMU, um, and the good know, people, exactly the cool, smart people, the discerning, yeah, the discerning class. And I've got some things to say about discernment too. But anyway, um, so Nick, he, he he did do the action movies, but that's a stretch for him. You know, it mm-hmm. was a real stretch. And as an artist, that's what you have to do. You have to stretch yourself, and you can't be thinking, oh, how will this play, and and, and all that. And it also, it might be just something that you enjoy. All right, so those those movies, you know, are they great in the sense that they're beautiful works of art? Maybe not. Is his performance good in it? Yes, hmm. I think his performance is very good. Um, but then in adaptation, when you watch that performance, you realize this guy hasn't lost anything. He's incredible. I mean, the scene when he's in the swamp talking to himself, like I had the feeling that this revelation is like, oh, my, I'm actually seeing the same guy talking. I had completely forgotten that they weren't two different huh. people. And I think that his acting in that movie really proved it to me. And then the latest... Uh, bad lieutenant you know no one can no one can do a line like he does you know the uh, about the iguana on the coffee table or what, whatever it was i mean he's just brilliant and he anytime he does something that sounds like an interesting project he does great in it it's just that he doesn't always want to be a weirdo okay well what about okay well, we, we've talked about a few examples from your book but not everybody makes it can you can you throw yeah. out someone for you who you feel is perhaps someone who was a genius in his or her overt period and then their later stuff is really bad um well you know you ha- one of the rules is you have to be great for 15 years so that's a challenge in, a challenge in, in itself um i think that the people who I, I talk more about are the ones who just stayed conventionally great you know like like Elton John, you know, he he started out what he was, and he's been successful ever since, and he never really did the thing, except for I'm still standing, that really made you, th- you know, th- think that he's totally lost what he was doing. Um, but beyond him, I think, who was good and then got got actually bad? I, I don't, you know, that's a hard question. I haven't really thought about that. I, t- <laughs> I try to take the positive view, you know, of the people who are, who are just wonderful and, uh, and stay wonderful. Huh. Um, well, maybe someone out there in the audience can help us out. The number here is <laughs> 201-209-9368. Uh, if you'd like to take issue with uh, my guest, Jason Hartley's Advanced Genius Theory, you can also check out the Accu playlist at WFMU.org. But when we were talking about Steve Martin, mm-hmm. you mentioned the magic words, sell out. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that when we're going to talk about selling out, it, I learned a lot about this in your book, but it, it seems that the entry point is talking about the difference 
in movies versus music. Mm-hmm. You know, when a movie is lo-fi, it's because there's a low budget, usually the director's credit card. And when this director gets access to studio money, no one really starts accusing him of selling out when he gets to right. use real sets mm-hmm. and crews. But for some reason, this is different. With music, yeah, definitely. Um, they well, you you can have a certain amount of budget as a director, but once you get uh, once you get beyond that, then you're no longer okay to like um, if you listen to WFMU, uh, if you're one of those sorts of people. But uh, but in music, you know, y- y- if it seems like the, the biggest thing is that you cannot treat your own music like commerce. You know that that if you let your song be used by a car com- commercial, then it's just the worst thing in the world. But the thing is, you've already sold the song to the record company. And the record company is usually owned by a huge conglomerate who probably owns that car company anyway, or at least the oil that's uh-huh. spilling into the Gulf. You know, I mean, it's just, just the way it is. I mean, the, the second you take a quarter for playing music, you've sold out. So there's no reason to draw this arbitrary line that says, well, this kind of thing is not okay, but this kind of thing is. Uh, can, can you talk about the idea, though, that it's okay if, if it's a choice. In other words, if you're doing something mm-hmm. that's lo-fi and that's, you know... Sure, yeah. In other words, or that's your limitations. Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's... You'd have a choice not to. It seems to be that you, you, t- you talked about Spielberg, for example, mm-hmm. with Jaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for in Jaws, Spielberg really had a lot of trouble with that shark. And so he ended up having to keep the shark out of the scenes a lot. I think that he started to say recently that he did this on purpose, but I don't believe it. <laughs> you know, the real-time documentaries, you know, they say this. But the shark never worked, so it was not in the scene. So the movie was a lot – there was a lot more suspense. It was a lot scarier when the shark actually did appear. Now, ever since then, the shark has worked, you know. wherever Whatever he's worked in, definitely the shark has worked. And so we've seen it a lot. Um, and it's a greater challenge for me to make great art without limitations. Because if you have limitations, you have built-in excuses. Um, and that works for both the creator of the art and the listener or the viewer. So it, I, I think that it takes a lot more talent to do something great. Here we go. Someone has actually written in saying the idea of a genius that uh, uh, that didn't make it, and that is Stevie Wonder. What do, what do, mm. you, what do you think of that? <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, I think he actually is advanced, to tell you the truth. Um, I know that if you listen to if I just called to say I love you then that's probably a painful experience if you grew up listening to um, living in the city and that sort of stuff but um, I think he probably did because he's done a lot of sports related appearances um, so sports is a sign of yeah, advancement playing a Super Bowl is a really good move and I can't remember if it was him or Ray Charles who did a halftime show where they pretended to drive a car to the uh, to the stage now both of these guys whoever it was it doesn't really matter they both have a lot of self-respect and a lot of pride but you know, they decided, yes, we'll go along with this. I'm pre- pretending to drive a car to the stage in the Super Bowl. So beats me. But um, who am I to question Stevie Wonder, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing until I find someone. But uh, another commenter writes in, Robert De Niro? No, he's advanced. He is advanced. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, callers, uh, if you want to chime in... Um, the number here is 201-209-9368. Uh, if you'd like to take on our guest, uh, Jason Hartley and... His theory, the advanced genius theory. Give us a call, uh, 201-209-9368. We'll be live for about another 23 minutes. But I want to come back to this story of selling out. Uh, for you, it seemed that you learned a lot in an early experience with the band R.E.M. Mm. and a hat stealer. Yes. Are we ready now? Yeah. Okay. So um, so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and around there, R.E.M. was just the biggest thing in the world, and we all loved them. But it was a very small group of us. This was pre-Lifeswitch pageant, I guess. So, we, you know, we basically were there from Chronic Town on. 
and um, I went to see the concert for Last Rich Pageant. I was in high school, and you know they were playing, and the opening band was Let's Active, and it was great, and we all loved it, and all my friends were out in the in the in the pit, and um, and so we then they got done, and a lot of people kind of stepped away, and then when we came back, the pit was filled with all these guys who had baseball hats, and you know who were just like. How did these guys get in, you know? And then I looked around, and there were more people like that than people like us. Um, so that was really disconcerting. And, you know, they, they started playing, so everything was fine. We kind of jockeyed for position, and, and that was fine. Um, but then my, a friend of mine was wearing a, a non-baseball hat, which was okay, of course. <laughs> the, the, the other guys aren't allowed to wear baseball caps, so my friend was allowed to wear this type of cap. But anyway, this jerk picks off, takes the hat off my friend's head and throws it just away. And I just felt so depressed that R.E.M. had let, you know, the, the barbarians into the gate. The hat stealers. Yeah, the hat stealers. How could the hat stealers like R.E.M.? And if they like them, maybe it's possible that R.E.M. just isn't as great as I thought because terrible people like them. <laughs> but I've since sort of realized that it wasn't that, you know. It, it was not that at all, that, that it, it didn't make any difference at all who liked them. And, and I liked them, and they were great. And... Um, and I was jealously guarding them from the hat stealers. You know, I didn't want them to like it because it made me ask a lot of questions of myself, and I hate doing that. Do you think that that's a fork in the road where many take a wrong turn in their youth? And if so, how can they go back and, and get back on the right path? Well, I think if you admire an artist for being unique or um, uh, you're really following their own path, that's what you should do too and, and realize that if you don't like someone just because everybody else likes them, that, that's just as bad as liking them because everybody else likes them. So why not just forget about what everybody else thinks? And if you like Lou Reed rapping, then that, that's your thing, you know, and, and why not? <laughs> All right, we have a caller. We have uh, Chris on line one. Hey, Chris, are you there? Yeah. Awesome. All right, you've got someone you'd like to, to throw by Jason here. Yeah, I've got somebody I'd like to throw under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Todd it? Run- Todd Rundgren. Yeah, I think I think you might be right there. Um, he he does not r- rise to the level, and that's a perfect example because he did do a We've lot. We've got of, one finally, yeah, he, he, and not, this is not to say that I don't like Todd Rundgren because it's. That, I, that. I adore so much of his work, but but it's been every time I buy anything he produces anymore, it's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he was the first one to you know put his music out there and let people remix it on their own. Um, you know, he was embracing the future a long time before anybody else was, and and that doesn't serve you very well in this world um, because the future takes a long time to get here. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean the music is great or that it's genius. I just think that he he wrote a, uh, a fair, good, fair amount of good songs. He does some great production. He was innovative. He did a lot of things. He just doesn't rise to the level. And, and if he does something bad, I'm more inclined to say Yep, it's bad. It's hmm. not. It's not that I misunderstand. It's just bad. I, is there oh. something, Chris? You feel that that he he made a mistake? Is there is there a Todd Rundgren that that you'd like to make the case for? He could one day. Um, for me, it's as simple as this. There's a, a you see a steady evolution in his abilities as a songwriter, as a musician, all from the '60s through the '70s, even into the '80s, and somewhere around there, I don't know whether he just burned out or whatever. Uh, but the song started to get to not be as good, and and uh, these days he's you know even though he's embracing all sorts of electronics, you go back and listen to the earlier productions where he was using organic musical instruments, and and uh, and it's just more interesting to listen to. 
Hmm. Uh, and and even when he got into you know he was cutting edge early synthesizers when they were monophonic. Uh, always took all sorts of chances and did brilliant productions for people. Took bands that were on their way out and brought them back to life. Um, and you know I know there's a bad climate in the music industry now for anybody that's innovative, but uh, the the beauty is that you can do it on the cheap now. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to say it, but I think you convinced me that he might be advanced. <laughs> All right. Now this is the, this is ridiculous. But thanks for calling, Chris. Uh, this is too much information. My name is Benjamin Walker. My guest, Jason Hartley, is uh, is is maybe sticking to his 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 advanced genius theory here. Or maybe you don't buy it, or you think he's nuts. Uh, give us a call. 201-209-9368. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get to the heart of this uh, brilliant, stupid, or both. We'll be right back. Support for TMI comes from the Florence Foster Jenkins Foundation, supporting the performing arts, environmental conservation, medical research, and the prevention of lactose intolerance. The Peter J. Lovegard Foundation, in support of TMI's continuing coverage of animal husbandry and organically grown cattle feed. To Larry College, offering associate in arts degrees and a broad range of stimulating student activities. To Larry College, recently selected as one of the top ten schools outside of the floodplain along the Delta region. Additional support comes from Starlight Pictures Classics, presenting Brenda, an erotic thriller set in 17th century Spain, starring Shelley Long and featuring Lawrence Hilton Jacobs as the Gatemaster. Support for international distribution of TMI comes in part from StataCorp, an information reprocessing firm specializing in data mining, data flow management, data systems analysis, and data redirection. WFMU returns to the fabulous Primavera Sound Festival in Barcelona, Spain from May 27th to the 29th. We'll be carrying full sets live from Pavement, Sick Alps, The Clean, Mission of Burma, The New Pornographers, Wire, and The Fall. For more information, visit WFMU.org. You're listening to Too Much Information. My name is Benjamin Walker, and my guest is author Jason Hartley. And we're talking about his new book, The Advanced Genius Theory. And in the background is the one artist who just made me throw the book against the wall. I just can't take it. I cannot accept that Sting makes it to Advanced Genius. Come on. Really. Explain. Well, really in the book I say... All right, I'm convinced enough, but I'm not willing to do the work that it's going to take to, uh, you know, I'm not going to martyr myself like uh, uh, Mary Curie and um, all the work she did with radiation. But um, What kind of work did you do? Um, listening to his solo records, um, and, and that was that was a difficult experience because I really did. I just loved the police so much when I was growing up. And even when I listen back, you know, there's so many bands that you listen to um, when you're a kid and when you're older, you're like, wow, they kind of sound a little naive or they sound, you know, it's not as good as it was or the lyrics are a little whatever. And but the police, I, every time I go back expecting to see less, um, I get more, you know, and and 
he was really the guy who was making it happen. I thought for a while, well, well maybe it's the rest of the band, you know, uh-huh. maybe they were you know, driving the driving force. But he was telling them what to do for a lot of it, and including Zenyatta Mandata, which was basically all. Um, excuse, and Zenyatta Mandata is when he was really getting um, to be the one person in the band who was making the decisions. And then um, Ghost in the Machine was when he really took over. And that's just an incredibly great album on, on every level, as far as I'm concerned. But then when I listen to his solo work, um, it's almost unbearably bland. Um, it, it's really, truly difficult for me uh, to listen to. I, the show's called Too Much Information, and when I was uh, looking at some of the versions of mm-hmm. Too Much Information, the song, mm-hmm. I found one of him doing a techno reggae version mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on stage wearing a dress with bad hair. So, you know, which at the time I found really horrifying, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. now that uh, you know you're you're making this this there this theory. Yeah, yeah, that the advanced just absolutely love to do different versions of their own songs. Um usually seen as just a betrayal, uh, you know, that can't be, you know, you can't return from. But I think that, you know, that brings one of the points is that they aren't they don't cherish their own music like we do. It's just something they did, you know, and and so that's the way they feel about all their work, and that allows them to be great, I think. You know, they're not always thinking, oh, this is this wonderful thing, and I have to be Sting. And, you know, it's, I'm going to do a 16th Century Loot album, you know, and a Christmas album, I might add. Um, you know, which Sting just, he feels, it, as I wrote in the book, you know, if he's not advanced, then the whole thing crumbles. Mm. Because I think he lives up to everything that we talk about um, when it comes to being advanced. And even though I still can't quite understand him, and you know, the, the theory is right now that he's just super advanced. Just right. no no way for me to even get there. And like I say, I wasn't ready to do the work to uh, get there. <laughs> Let's check in with uh, Joe here. Oh, <laughs> Joe is gone. How about... Hmm. They're not hoping, hang, hanging up and hanging. Hello? Hello. Hey there. Is this Joe? It's Paul. Oh, hey, Paul. Hey. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. What do you think of the advanced genius theory? a good theory i think you uh you two hosts are definitely in that curve you say you two or we two <laughs> we three i guess sure yeah. i think with sting he, he got bigger than his band I, I don't think you can ever i think sometimes geniuses if they need guys around that aren't scared of them and will call them on their you know stuff and that's what happens with sting when, when you're the boss you kind of stifle creativity when people have to defer to the boss Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree that, that that's definitely the case, and that's why all, all advanced um, geniuses have to be solo and have to have strong solo work. Um, staying yeah. right on that edge, you know, when when I first heard Dream of the Blue Turtles, I was like, okay, well, you know, all right, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this, yeah, um, and could never quite fully get behind it, but I think yeah. now. You know, like I say, I mean, it's, it's hard to go back and listen to a bunch of Sting solo records, but I know that he did some good stuff, and I know that it doesn't necessarily meet my standards or, or wasn't exactly the kind of music that I would make. But I just right. feel like his early stuff was so good. Yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. I'm just missing something. It's you know, I mean, it's almost like, well, I don't know. He's he's just he's a, he's a real thorn in my side. I have to say. I mean, I've been wrestling the, with this one for many years. You know. We just collectively brought up you too, so I'm going to throw mm-hmm. it out there. And mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I don't know. What about Bono? Yeah, Bono's not. <laughs> oh, <fine. laughs> you're very, you're not going to change your mind on this one. No, you, there's nothing you can do to change my mind, and that's that's because most of the things that he's done that are advanced are um, with the, it's ironic. You know, like mm. when he was doing the Zoo TV and all that, and the McFisto character and all that. It was great. I mean, it was definitely you know he was going against what everyone thought of when they thought of you too. 
but at the same time, it's still kind of winking a little bit, and that just doesn't have a place in advancement. Um, and I think that the fact that when it seemed after they did the Pop Mart tour, it seemed like he realized, okay, well, people are kind of getting enough of this. But rather than making making it more extreme, they went back, they stripped down their their live stage set, you know. The Edge brought back his old, old uh, Gibson, you know, I mean, all the stuff. It's like, okay, well, we thought we were going to get advanced, but yeah. we, we chickened out. Paul, does that sound right to you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think they got crushed, and I don't think if you can't do irony well, you should stay away from it. Mm-hmm. So anyone else you want to throw out to see see how this theory works? Uh, no, I just called call to say I love the show, and I, I love, I called to say I love you. And I'm with, I'm with Stevie in his early Motown days, and I, and I would defend that song. I know it's an easy kind of one to, to slag on. Let, let's let's throw out Miles Davis. Thanks, thanks, Paul. So, what about Miles Davis? Does De- he? He's definitely advanced. Yeah, okay. you know, I, I don't know enough about jazz to really be like. <laughs> that's that's know, good the, that you're doing a theory. Yeah, <laughs> creativity. Exactly. Yeah, um, but he, you know, with Miles Davis, I mean, in his later years, covering um, Cindy Lauper was you know doing time after time as part of he had a red trumpet and you know just like all these things and of course his long hair and sunglasses. Mm. He also did a Honda Scooter commercial. Um, he was he did a cameo on Scrooged as a street musician. Um, I mean, all of these things are not what you would expect out of Miles mm. Davis. Um, so now you're, you're talking about you don't know enough about jazz, but there seems to be something missing, and that is women. I mean, yes. what, do, mm-hmm. do, do women not qualify as advanced geniuses? Well, I just hate women. I don't think they can make good music. <laughs> no, um, I, I I have a, a lot of um, there are a lot of musicians that I like. I love. Um, who do I like? Is <laughs> Patty Smith? <laughs> Patty Smith. Patty Smith does qualify. She does. Um, she's an advanced genius. Yeah, okay, I, I think so. Um, you know, she's the, the reason is there. There are a few different reasons. Um, I like the fact that she just left. You know, and for a way that was very not in keeping with this idea of a strong feminist um, in that era. You know, she wanted to go have a family, and, and that you know, so much about advancement is just doing the right thing for you, and, and that was pretty great. Um, the other thing is embracing rock and roll, as I said earlier, is like is is a true hallmark of of the advance. So I always love to sing about it, talk about it, you know, use it in the lyrics, and um, and even her most um, innovative stuff was three chord rock, you know, but she just right. happened to be doing poetry over it, and and that, and they were a great rock band. Um, if they hadn't been that, then I would have maybe kind of mm-hmm. not really been inclined to give her credit. But there's a great video of her doing "You Light Up My Life" on uh, YouTube at this. Looks like a talk show for children. Huh. I so highly recommend it. <laughs> you, you bring up the idea of the group then. So when you have to take on a group, say like the Beatles, do you, mm-hmm. do, can you suss out who was the most advanced Beatle or does that cause mm-hmm. you know, more trouble than it's worth? It almost causes more trouble, but it's almost a necessary conversation because it's, it's impossible to get around them. Um, and the only way, only way we would have ever known is they're going, sing, uh, going solo. And I so think who is? Who, who, who's the winner? Paul McCartney is the oh. most advanced Beatle. Okay, then. Uh, the number here is 201-209-9368. We've got about eight minutes left in the program. Give us a call, and we can talk about uh, your favorite artist or musician. We have been c- using the word artist a lot, but we haven't talked about a lot of visual artists. Who, for you, is the one that, that makes most sense for you when you talk about the visual arts and the theory? I think it's Andy Warhol. I mean, it, it, it's helpful that he, he connected with Lou Reed and Bob Dylan, and, you know, they're, they're sort of – it's all – there's a piece. connection there. Yeah, exactly. So it makes it easier for me to judge. Um, but I think that he just embodies everything about it. I mean, he, he sold out. He you know he made himself a brand, um, and he was very unapologetic about it. And you know and and um, 
you know, he he his earlier period. I mean, I like the fact that he started as a commercial artist. I think that really informed everything that he, he did later on, and um, and it you know he he embraced different types of um, art, and I think that's something that the advanced often do. If you're a singer, you go you try to be an actor. If you're an actor, you try to be a hmm. singer. Um, they're always trying new things, and uh, also having a uh, vineyard is another good thing to do, or, or a line of clothes or sunglasses, like Lee Reed did. Um, but at any rate, um, I think that Warhol just, you know, took to an obvious example is the Campbell soup cans. You know, that was really difficult for people to accept, um, and advanced it, it was. And he just, you know, he he basically predicted YouTube. He predicted, um, what, you know, he j- he just. He was living in another time, and he was unapologetic about it. He was completely unique. You never knew what he was going to do next. He made selling out an art. He lived, you know, his life was an art, as people say, but that obscures the fact that he actually did really great art as well. Um, and I don't think that doing portraits of socialites disqualifies you as being a genius, especially if you can make it interesting. You know, uh, the number here is 201-209-9368. I'd love to get a few more callers here. Uh, let's try. Hold on. we got someone here. Hello? You're on the air? Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, good. Who's great. this? Uh, this is Jim. Hey, Jim. So what do you think about uh, the theory? I think it's great. Ice Cube. Ice Cube. Ice Cube. I was laughing at the promo for, um, what's that show he's doing for, on TBS? Where they're all, they're uh, all, it's like, are we there yet? The yeah, show, yeah, I they're believe. Grabbing for the, um, for the remote control, this family fighting over remote control. And there's a yeah. little picture of Ice Cube in the corner, like, executive producer. <laughs> it's really amazing. But um, one, of, one of the problems with um, assessing advancement in the rap world is that a lot of things that define advancement in rock are actually acceptable in rap. Like, for instance, selling out is not something that is looked on as a bad thing. Like, there's a lot of product placement in, in hip-hop, and there, and there almost ha- always has been. Because I think it's been more about living life and, and all that. And now, of course, you know, you, you would talk about the name of the champagne that you're drinking and all that kind of stuff. To not do that might be the advancing of the rappers. <laughs> so who knows? But, um, but I have to say, when I see Ice Cube's picture amid that uh, family scrum for the remote control, I, 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 you know, I, I feel good about his chances. Does that make sense to you? Uh, I'll go with it. You'll go with it. I'll take it. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. All right. Well, thanks for calling. It sounds like you're going to get in a traffic accident, so uh, be careful yeah. there. Take it easy. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank you. So, come on. We've had a lot of callers giving you a lot of goodwill here, uh, and, and I was thinking with it being WFMU, it would not be the case. I mean, do you, do you find that most people uh, put their arms around you and say, what a great theory, Jason, or do people punch you? And what, 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 what's the reaction you're getting here? Eventual uh, grudging acceptance. That's usually what I get. Usually when pe- people first hear about the theory, they think I'm kidding, and then they kind of get angry about it, and they say, well, how could you, you know, it's either how could you say such horrible things about, about these people, or why are you leaving out my favorite artist? Mm. Um, that's usually, and, and usually they'll come back to me later, either later in the day or another day, and they'll say, well, you know, well, what about Prince? And you, you, clearly they've been thinking about it. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, and then they sort of, it just sort of turns around their mind. And then they find someone that they like as a candidate. And once you've gotten them there, yeah. then they, they, the rest of their um, preconceptions just sort of fall. We have a, a comment on the playlist here that wants to take you to task for especially the, the – uh, the lack of women in the theory, mm-hmm. and also the fact that you're only looking at artists in this century. Right. Well, I don't know enough about what what makes an artist, you know, advanced if they were in the 19th century. It's just too difficult. Um, you know, you look at Mozart, and you, you're tempted to say, well, you know, the, my 
little bit of um, understanding of his life and, and what he was working on. But, you know, they're all working for kings and, you know, they had, you know, it just, it, the criteria just had to be so different. Um, but I will say that Proust wrote about mullets. So, you know, yeah, that's pretty That's pretty good. That's going back there. All right, the mullet. Explain again how important the mullet is to the advanced genius theory. Because I think this is what takes it up a notch. This is what takes the theory up from some thinly discussed dorm room pizza party yak session to, you know, to something mm. really serious. Yeah. And, well, the mullet is a part of sort of a, an advanced trinity is what we, we've come to call it. And it's basically the advanced at one point or another almost all have had uh, a pre-ironic mullet or a non-ironic mullet, even if, it, if irony existed about it. Um, so we have the mullet, black sunglasses, black leather jacket. All of them, at one point or another, it seems to they've embraced it. Even Einstein um, had sported that look, um, although his hair was just a little bit crazy. Um, you know, if you believe that ZZ Top is advanced, you know, they, they kind of did a similar thing, but they have long hair in the front instead of the back. Um, we, we used to categorize like we had advanced blues musicians and advanced pop and all that sort of uh-huh. thing. But now it's just the, the one I think the one thing is that it's easy to have fun and say this person is advanced and this one's not. But you really have to restrict yourself. And the, the mullet is a good place to start. <laughs> it's a good place to start. All right. Let's see. If we can get one last call in here. 201-209-9368. You can take on Jason Hartley and his uh, advanced genius theory. Or chime in on the playlist, and that's 201-209-9368. Got a few minutes left before DJ Rupture takes over. But uh, you're, you're doing a reading this week. Can you, can you pimp that out one more time? Yeah, we're going to be doing something at Book Court in Brooklyn. And um, Chuck Klosterman, Rob Sheffield, Greg Milner, and John Dolan and I are going to do a panel. And so we'll discuss it and then take questions from uh, anyone who should be lucky enough to get in. <laughs> um, and it uh, should be good. I think it's going to be fun. It'll be at 7 o'clock, uh, and that's on Wednesday. Well, I guess if we're not going to get one last call, I'll throw the number out one more time, 201-209-9368. But uh, I just want to say uh, thanks so much, Jason, for coming down uh, to the show and, 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 and making an appearance here. I think it's great theory. It's a great book. I have to say that uh, I started off with the anger myself. <laughs> and, you know, the reason you're here is I, it just, you know, turned into uh, grudging acceptance mm, as well. Great. Um, so my name is Benjamin Walker. This is Too Much Information. And tonight on the program, you have been listening to Jason Hartley discuss his advanced genius theory. We're going to go out with the man with the bad hair, <laughs> the black sunglasses, and the black leather jacket. Was this uh, Metal Machine Music? Was this? Did you recognize this as advanced right away? I didn't until the last couple of years. Yeah? Yep. I thought it was everything that everyone said it was, just something to kill his career and make everybody upset. But, um, you know, Lester Bangs was about the only person who said, aha, this is great stuff. And now it's be- he's tri- touring with the, the yeah. uh, Metal Machine Trio, and then there was the... the that band whose name I forget, like Kratzer or whatever, they you know they did a version of it, and it's really seemed to have people are appreciating it now. It's just more proof that I'm right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for coming down. It's my pleasure. And we'll be back next week.
And then I'd just also like to thank Bill Bowen and Laura Mayer for helping put the program together today. DJ Rupture's up next.
FMU. My name is DJ Rupture, and I'll be taking you through, up, over, and then deep under, two feet under, two feet, excuse me, two meters, six feet, depending on how you count. Scuba, So You Think You're Special, is the track. Triangulation is the album. Real nice one, this. Before this was James Blake, CMYK, taking on Aaliyah and Colise, a young Londoner, twisting up various... Uh, R&B singers um, to good effect, I should add. And I started off the show with a bit of kind of Jay Dilla-inspired beat work from Javelin. Goal Wide is the name of that from their album No Mas. And yeah, 2010 Jay Dilla. I mean, who is seems to be the, the widest influence? All sorts of genres and people. Um, really have JD deep in their blood, even though he's been dead for several years now. I feel like it's really kind of hitting now and popping up. Mud up, keep it locked. Yeah, you'll find them, you'll find them. 